For the first time ever, the National Defense Industrial Association, along with help from the data analytics firm Gavini, took a look at the health of the defense industrial base. It showed many strengths, but also some glaring flaws, earning the DIB a C grade. To help explain some of the findings, Federal News Network's Eric White spoke with Hawk Carlisle, president and CEO of NDIA, along with Wes Hallman, NDIA's Senior VP for Strategy and Policy. There was a, an Executive Order 13806 that was a study of the industrial base in the United States, the defense industrial base in the United States. Actually, Wes, I, I, it was the defense industrial base because DOD did it. I think it touched into other parts of the industrial base, uh, you know, the the dual-use capability and some of those things. So the 13806 report came out, and then uh, Wes and I had spent a period of time on the Hill, uh, and actually we talked to some of the staff directors from the, the big four committees, um, and they had referenced after, you know, we talked about the challenges based on the 13806 report that was still in the process, hadn't actually finished, um, but they referenced, some of the staff directors had referenced that, hey, you know, the Heritage Foundation puts out a report yearly on the strength of the U.S. military, you know, based on a, a data analytics and, and how they look at things. And and they said, you know, what would be incredibly valuable to us would be the same thing for the defense industrial base. So we would have an idea of, you know, DPA, Defense Production Act, Title One and Title Three money or different things that they could do to support uh, the defense industrial base as part of national security. So I think it was a combination of all those things, um, and it it you know it's incredibly important if you look at the NDS, which is another part of it, great power competition, um, and what our nation has done for the last 20 years in fighting violent extremists. It kind of all of it kind of came together. 13806 talks with folks on the Hill, and then the national defense strategy. Uh, all kind of came out and we said, hey, this is exactly in our wheelhouse. What we need to be doing is the largest and most well-known defense industrial association. Um, and so we took it on and, and it actually we're, we're, we think it's uh, incredibly important as we move forward. Wes, what are you hearing from uh, policy writers as far as how they're going to utilize this information and uh, how it's really an advantage for them to know this kind of stuff? I think the question is a, is a very good one, and it gets to the heart of the reason for the report and how we did it. Like uh, General Carlisle said, this is a, a data-driven report. Our goal in this was to not was to make some conclusions, but not necessarily to make some upfront recommendations out of those conclusions. So this could be seen as a reference for not just uh, you know NDIA and its its members and, and and our efforts on behalf of the health of the of the defense industrial base, but also other thought leaders in the in the community, so they could look at this, they could set a baseline for a discussion. And what we've seen since the release of this is several op-eds and and other um, uh, uh, other media presentations where this has been picked up, talked about, and and referenced. And really, it's doing what we what we hoped, which was to begin that discussion uh, on the health of the defense industrial base, because this is a thing that needs to be invested in over time for it to be there, not just on behalf of the warfighters, but on behalf of the nation when when we need it. And and frankly, like uh, General Carlisle said, the new national defense strategy highlights that we're in an era of great power competition. 
And when you require those very high-end capabilities, you have to have a defense base and the innovation within that defense industrial base to provide for the warfighter to maintain the capability gaps that we've enjoyed over decades and have factually closed down a bit uh, over the last couple decades, and we need to reinvest in this defense industrial base. And and to have a report like this that identifies uh, some aspects of of what's going on and where we need to focus attention, I think, is valuable. You mentioned all of those things, and they're not just buzzwords. They're very important aspects of not just the defense industry, but the national defense overall. How has this idea not come about before? You know, it's it's already 2020, and this is the first time anybody's ever really taken a look at it. Well, I think uh, this is a hawk. I, you know, I think one of the challenges was, you know, if you it, it, it's it's a 30-year process, actually, if you ask me. I think we had a pretty good idea of our defense industrial base at the end of the late great days of the Cold War in that, you know, we, we didn't have matching economies, so I think it was a different than the great power competition in today. But it was, you know, kind of USSR versus the United States. At that time, China was basically a third world country. Um, and then at the when the wall came down, we went through Desert Storm uh, extremely successfully, Allied Force extremely successfully. Uh, but the peace dividend, if you remember back then, it was a peace dividend was going to come about in the 90s. And then, of course, um, 9-11 happened, and we transitioned to that. And so I think if you put those together, the end of the Cold War, the the success of Desert Storm and Allied Force, um, the kind of drawdown in the military, there was a pretty significant drawdown across the board, again, with that peace dividend in the 90s. And then 9-11 happened, and we turned our focus to the to what was important at the time, and that was how to counter violent extremism and uh, in that case, many non-state actors, as well as Iraq and uh, Afghanistan in 2001 and during freedom and uh, Iraqi freedom. So I think those two things and then the, the focus on those over a period of time um, where we were engaged in combat but wasn't against a peer competitor, it wasn't against an industrialized nation, it wasn't against um, a uh, an innovative adversary that was creating new technologies and and it wasn't a great power competition so i think all those things got us to this point where you know and i think the national defense strategy which was a, again i think it's the best one i've ever read in my 40 years in the air force and now 2 years out of the air force i think the um the fact that we acknowledge that we that you know that the chinese and russians chinese in particular are doing everything in their power to counter us across the spectrum, across all the elements of national power, military strength being one of them, industrial and economics being another one. And the realization and the, the, you know, the basically articulating that in the national defense strategy was kind of the wake up call that, hey, we've got to, we've got to rise to the occasion of, of our adversaries that are, that have emerged and, and in fact now are competing with us across the spectrum. Yeah, I was saying that, yeah, I think you're exactly right. And, and and the fact is that there have been, you know, like the 13806, there had been a couple of points in time where we've looked at this and there was concern. But there's there, there's a couple of aspects of those that that uh, that that make those challenging to to be able to create any policy or or real dialogue over. And one is that point in time nature of those, so you don't get the trend analysis. And the other fact is that a lot of this is done at the classified level. 
And when it's at the classified level, it's very hard to have that public debate. And so we see this filling a gap on providing a year-to-year uh, analysis with the same sort of measures so you could get that trend analysis and understand what changes are working and what's not over time. And the other thing is to, to create this uh, using publicly available data so that that, that that conversation can help can can happen out in the out in the open and that the entire community can discuss it and the American people can can follow that discussion also. We're speaking with retired General Hawk Carlisle. He is the president and CEO of the National Defense Industrial Association. Retired Colonel Wesley Hallman is their senior vice president and of, uh, or I'm sorry, is senior vice president of strategy and policy for the NDIA. And so let's go through the report. Um, you know, we can get take kind of a Cliff Notes version of this, though. But why don't we uh, just start out with some of the general takeaways that you all saw? Uh, Wes, do you want to start off? Sure. I think uh, uh, one of the greatest takeaways is that overall we still have a very strong, innovative defense industrial base that, that, that is still the best of the best. But what we see is challenges that have happened over the last uh, uh, few decades, one of those being uh, budget instability and, and changes in strategic direction that have not indicated to, to industries what to invest in over time. Uh, we've seen an, uh, uh, an increasingly um, out, uh, out in the open uh, competitor, uh, in, especially in China, that is looking to uh, pilfer what they can, steal what they can, copy what they can, and innovate where they can to challenge our advantages uh, uh, across the spectrum. And then I think that, that you also see some challenges on, on what we call the input conditions, and I would especially point to our workforce challenges over time. So the, uh, those are some of the big takeaways, but I think that you can also see that some of the things that, that have happened in recent years to, to both define what our national defense strategy is and then to invest in that, you see some positives in the report from those investments, uh, and we're looking to see what that, uh, what that does over time. Hawk, your thoughts? No, I agree. I think, you know, Wes and his team did great work in this, and I think you got that right. I think there's, you know, there's limitations. We know the cybersecurity and the, you know, obviously the growth of cyber, uh, the cyber threats uh, has been exponential over time. So that's a big one that, that and frankly, you got to give DOD a whole bunch of credit and uh, the Cybersecurity Maturity, Modern, Maturity Model Certification, CMMC, and what they're doing and, and what companies are doing and what commercial enterprise. Look at the banking industry and how much they, how seriously they've taken that. But that's a challenge, so that is a threat, and, and that score was low, but you would have expected it to be low because uh, it's emerging and, and we're, we're just now getting ahead of it or, and starting to address it, I think, with uh, what's coming out from DOD and CMMC. I think the strengths are, you know, the the other one of that, uh, and the challenge being the workforce, and then um, the other one. I think the strength is the quality of the American goods and the overseas demand for American goods and and uh, and items and capabilities. So, I think you know the competitive nature, the amount of contracts that. Uh, the both FMS and DCS that our companies are getting is a strength of our industrial base. So there's, you know, there is some there's some good, and then there's some challenges that we knew were going to be challenges. What we want to see as we looked at three years is now that we kind of laid them out uh, very distinctly. Uh, let's 
turn the trends in the right direction. Let's keep the things that are good good, and let's turn the things that uh, have gotten the lower scores and start working that trend upwards. So that's really the annualized basis of this is we want to continue to know to assess what we're doing to make sure we're having the, the effect that we want to have. The Pentagon recently took over the security clearance process. That is an area that was sort of flagged in the report as being an area for improvement. How do you see that improving as DOD takes the reins on it, as we have seen that since then uh, there has been a, a decline in the backlog? Yeah, that was a, that was a challenge. Um, you know, to be to have to get it factually right, it was run by OPM for a long time. Uh, it wasn't in DOD. Uh, it was in the Office of Personnel Management OPM, and in, in, and in fact, that you know, it was a challenge. I, I don't think again, it kind of goes back to where the focus was for the last two decades in countering violent extremism. Um, I, I think that uh, we had not modernized the process. We hadn't put the technology in place. Um, and it was becoming very critical to both the Department of Defense as well as some other agencies, the uh, Director of National Intelligence as well. Um, and But also, which was less realized, was as a huge factor to, to industry because industry had to have clearances to work on programs and they had to bring that workforce in and get them – get them clearances. So I think the, the you know, spend 90% of your time studying the problem and figuring out what's wrong and then fix it uh, in the next 10%, I think uh, they have moved it out of OPM and moved it back into DOD. Um, I, they have uh, what I think has done a good job in putting technology in place and, and modernizing the process. I will tell you, I, for one, in my clearance, I'm now on what's called continuous monitoring, which means I don't need, you know, we don't have to do the every five years you have to have this reinvestigation that, you know, there's factors that they look at um, and they continually look at them. And if a couple of them change and they go, hey, we need to take account of this if everything pretty much stays the same. And so there, there's there's a, there's new technology and, and modernization in the security clearance process. It's having an, It's having a positive effect. We've cut the backlog we got more work to do, but I think DOD is doing them. Um, they're they're moving in the right direction. Yeah, and this is West. I will say that that's uh, that's all exactly right. I think they're they're making the investments they need to, and I, I would say that in our report, what you're seeing is a lagging indicator, and I, and and we hope to see from these investments and these changes in procedures that that get healthier over time. Wes, is there anything else that defense policymakers could do to maybe uh, improve the uh, amount of innovation or uh, the uh, small business participation, which was another area where there were some trouble signs? Well, I would I would point to Section 7 of our report on the uh, political and uh, regulatory environment that, that, our, uh, that our defense industrial base has to operate in. One of the big big things, and and uh, you whether you talk to our industrial uh, members or you talk to the services, what they'll all ask for is budget certainty uh, over time because what that button, budget certainty gives you is the ability to plan and the ability to signal what kind of investments are going to pay out in the future, and that's important for again both the services and the warfighters and our and our industrial uh, members. Uh, you're going to get more innovation over time if you are able to 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 maintain consistent investment strategies in innovation. I would say that the other piece is, and this is going to be a challenge, especially given uh, the threat environment and we talked about CMMC, is how do you lower the barriers of entry to non-traditionals and new entrants into the defense supply chain? 
and that is uh, increasingly difficult as companies are being asked to be more secure, et cetera, where they may not have to make the same or they don't think they have to make the same investments if they're going to be in the commercial space or elsewhere. And so how you manage that, that, that environment they work under and lower those barriers is going to be important to, to gain that innovation over time and bring in those small players uh, because they, at the end of the day, if they're not able to make a profit and survive, they will either look elsewhere or close, off, close up shop. That's Colonel Wesley, retired Colonel Wes Hallman. He is Senior Vice President of Strategy and Policy at the National Defense Industrial Association. Hawk Carlisle is the President and CEO of NDIA. Were there any other takeaways that you feel that policymakers really need to take a look at, or the public, or even the defense industry itself? How can it work with the government better to make this a smoother process? So I'll start, and then, uh, Wes, you can jump in. I think from our standpoint, one of the things is we did do three years of research, look back, but this is the inaugural report. This is the first one. Uh, so we're really looking to, as we said, annualize this. We we want to make it value-added. We want to continue to improve it. Uh, we'll do an after-action as we start working towards the next uh, vital signs. It'll come out next uh, in the winter next year, January, February time frame next year. So we're working with industry, we're working with the government, we're working with Congress, we're working with academia to to look at ways to make the report even more value, to get after those things that are most important and give folks the 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 information on which to have the dialogue and then ultimately uh, uh, other agencies will come up with recommendations on how to deal with them. So uh, I think the, the other thing that uh, your listeners should know is we're going to continue to improve this, we're going to take all inputs and and continue to make this even more value-added to industry, uh, to the government that's making decisions, and ultimately to those young men and women that uh, volunteer to serve our country, and we need to give them the best equipment and capability we can. So that's ultimately what the the purpose of this is. Yeah, and this is Wes. I'll, I'll just, uh, you know, uh, you know, say that exactly that, that really – we see this as the opportunity to to begin and continue a conversation about something that's going to be vital to our national security uh, over time. And uh, that over time piece is important because uh, real investments have to be made up front to see a realization of those investments uh, at a later date when we will truly need it as a nation. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.